2: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up?
1: Uh, it's birthday buckets for my man, Joe Buckets.
2: Yes, Joe Harris's birthday, obviously, with Team USA, having some nice performances out there. We're back here on the Buzz. We have some news to talk about again once this week. Some stuff on the negative side, sadly. But before we get started, quick reminder: you can find us on iTunes, Bogtalk Talk Radio, OTG Basketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Google Play, and YouTube. Also, grab yourself a Brooklyn Buzz T-shirt at DesignTree slash Off the Glass. We got a discount code OTG5 to save you five dollars. So make sure you do that. But Jack, we got some bad news this week. It, Rodion Karuts was arrested for an assault on his former girlfriend. What were your thoughts when you saw this? Obviously, it's an arrest. It's not confirmed. Um, but anytime you see an allegation like this, it n- doesn't make you feel right.
1: Oh, it's concerning. It, it makes you feel uneasy in, in, a, in a lot of the worst ways, Nick. Um you know, it's it's not news that we we want to speak about, but it, it's net's news, and you know it pertains to not just you know Rodion's core as a basketballer, but him as the person. And true. this this sort of status could affect him, you know, just living in the United States as well. And you know, if these allegations are true, if the the charges do, um, he's obviously pleaded not guilty, I believe, um, and. Yeah, you know, I believe there is a trial set for up close to the start of the season. Um, so the fact that this storyline is only going to linger, you know, into training camp and such, um, is is a clear negative. Um, and you know, it, it just there's no resolution um, or short-term resolution on the horizon unless charges are dropped, unless there's some sort of settlement. Um, Obviously, there's been lots of news. You know, you, you you see the first reports and then you see the second report saying that, you know, this apparently happened two months ago. Um, she's an ex-girlfriend. You know, you can read into them what you will. and But I think it's, you know, it's misleading to do so it's dangerous to do so um, especially in an environment where these allegations are incredibly serious and you know, it's certainly above my pay grade level, but um, hopefully I think I've put this on Twitter as well, but I'll say it again uh, on, on in this audio platform, things are resolved sooner rather than later for everyone involved. And there is some sort of uh, peaceful resolution for everyone uh, that is involved.
2: Yeah. Like you said, this is an extremely slippery slope, you know, it could come out that this is all fake and that they just get swept under the rug. And it was, you know, allegations that came out after the two had broke up. And like you mentioned, I believe it happened around June 27th, the end of June. And now we're just finding about it now. Or it could come out and it could be true. And then, you know, obviously it could, like you mentioned, it could uh, impact Rodion's, you know, immigration in terms of because he's playing here on a work visa. It also could just impact the view of Rodion's and how the Nets are going to handle the situation too, because, it's weird as an NBA team because you don't know if it's true or false. Like, obviously, you want to believe your player, but something like this is extremely serious because it's not like it was just a small thing. Reports are that he choked her, prevented her from breathing, and that's not something you want, and it's not something you want to represent your culture or your organization, especially when you put so much time and effort over the last couple of years to change the perspective of your team, and now you have, you know, the whole this whole situation and Wilson Chandler with the PEDs, which isn't necessarily as bad, because obviously he said it was an accident type of thing, but this yeah. type of thing is really serious. And how the Nets handle it, if it's true, could you know determine if the culture is real or fake.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many l- different storylines, not just surrounding you know Rodions um, it, it, specifically, like you mentioned it, the team in general. Um, you know, Alex Spiro apparently spoke to Sports Illustrated, and, and I'm quoting him here: the former couple flew away together, arm in arm, in the days that followed the alleged incident. Only after an inf- unfortunate breakup did these claims appear. Claims at the misdemeanor hearing today revealed were backed by no photographs or objective medical facts. So, I mean, obviously, he's going to be representing his client in a specific way. Um, you take him for his word. Um, uh, again, you know, once this thing is resolved, uh, I think we'll all be better for it.
2: Yeah, and then we can actually give a real take on it because right now it's just about, you know, he, said this, he said this, she said this. Yeah. It's
1: all conjecture, yeah.
2: So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it all goes down. And obviously, we hope for the best. We hope it's fake because, you know, we enjoyed watching Gordon's play. And this changes your perspective of him as a player and as a person. You know, you don't really want to root for somebody who does things like that. Obviously, people do get a second chance. But at this point, you're an adult in your life. You know, you're representing the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets. You need to have better behavior.
1: Yeah, and I think that there was one thing that sort of I sort of forgot about, but I sort of thought about when I heard this was, um, the, the sexual assault claims, uh, against Chris Epps Porzingis. And I think that I don't know what happened with those. Like, were those dismissed as well, Nick?
2: I believe they were just, you know, dismissed. I don't think there was enough evidence for anything to happen. Maybe there was some type of settlement, but it got swept under the rug pretty fast because no one's really talked about it. And at one one point, it would seem like Porzingis was going to be a major trouble. Same thing, similar with the Luke Walton thing. I don't know if you remember yep. that there was yep. happened this summer where they said he sexually assaulted a woman, and that looks like the NBA did an investigation. I believe the Kings did, and they couldn't find any evidence. So, it's going to be about the evidence. It doesn't mean it's true or fake, but you know, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, we we mentioned the fact that. The fact that she's, you know, um, alleging these claims two months later, um, I don't know w- how much timing um, plays a role in this, but, you know, you take everything, you know, as seriously as you can. Um, and hopefully, like I said, I'll, I'll keep repeating it. You know, this is a shitty situation for everyone involved. Rodion's, you know, his ex-girlfriends, um, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, hopefully everyone finds a, a, a peaceful resolution so we can move on um, and talk about some, some more fun stuff like we will be um, as we do in this pod.
2: Yeah. And it's just a weird situation. I would even say for his teammates too. like you want to support yeah. your teammate, but you don't know like if it's, you know, if it's real or fake. But uh, I guess would, you know, I guess let's just assume in the assumption that it is real. And, uh, you know, we don't want to assume that about Rodion's. Do you think the Nets will be forced to make a move and they'll cut Rodion's or they'll suspend him extra cons- uh, on top of what the NBA does or they'll just deal with the NBA suspension and let him stay on the roster or this could lead to more roster change?
1: Yeah, it's hard to think about. I mean, you look in the past history of how the NBA as an organization has dealt with um, domestic sort of abuse and, and 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 those sort of allegations, and most of the time they've been pretty sort of light on it. You know, probably like a, a range of like five to sort of 25 games, um, and then obviously there's what the team does, and obviously what the the the, the law enforcement officials um, how they sort of deal with the uh, the case itself specifically. Um, you know, if I was Sean Marks in my shoes and, you know, obviously we are being completely hypothetical here. Um, if these are true, um, I don't want Rodion's courts wearing in a black and white uniform. If they are, if they are, you know, absolutely false, then I want to see Rodion's Kuritz and I will support him to the absolute fullest. Um, We are talking about, you know, pretty black and white sort of scenarios. There's no sort of middle ground to this. He's either guilty or he's not guilty. And, you know, with that sort of being said, you know, I either 110% fully support Rodeons as a player and as a man, or I'm the complete opposite. Because if these are true, you you can't have a person like that on your roster. You can't have a person of that character who's um, committed such things and and done such uh, horrible things. But at the end of the day, you know, those still haven't been proven true yet. Those are just my opinions if they were to eventuate.
2: You know, and I think I agree with you on this. I think if it is true, especially for the detail that was mentioned in the quote unquote arrest, um, I think it's just not something you want around the culture on the team that could already have type of things. And then it's something you just have to worry about down the line. You know, was this a one time thing or so something could happen again? Pretty easy to get in trouble in New York City. I think everybody knows that, especially if you're willing to kind of cross the line, whatever it may be. So I think if it is true, then you probably have to look at probably cutting him and bring in, you know, one of the guys we mentioned on the last show on Carmelo Anthony or Joe Johnson or possibly another forward we haven't talked about yet. And then if it's false, you know, Rodion gets full support. You kind of help him change his image, maybe do some good PR things. But it's kind of just like we've talked about a wait and see thing.
1: Yeah, and it sucks that this, uh, again, I'll repeat, it sucks that this is going to linger just for everyone. You know the Brooklyn Nets trying to, and literally their biggest offseason in the history of the franchise. They've got two of the biggest superstars um, that we've seen in in recent years, and now this is sort of hanging over the, the head of the organization. Obviously, that pales in comparison to to the you know, the case itself and um, what might be going, what Rodion's might be dealing with, and obviously what his ex girlfriend might be dealing with uh, as well um but yeah it just sucks for everyone involved um just a shitty situation and something that i I wish we didn't have to speak about really
2: yeah 100 percent agree so hopefully i mean it'll be taken care of sooner than later but like you said the court case isn't for a while and they these things tend to kind of drag out especially if there's no you know pure evidence or it's just a constant battle of um, him versus her but uh on the Wilson Chandler thing, do you think anything is going to happen with that? Do you think if we would have seen Wilson Chandler be cut, it would have already happened, or is it, you know, still a possibility we could see him waved and the Nets to make a move for Carmelo or Joe Johnson?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, Nick. Um, you might have more information on when you know cutoff dates are for you know roster sort of composition, um, but I, I think that you know it makes the most sense just to keep Wilson Chandler around. You know, I think that this you know, PED sort of incident and, you know, the, the guilty, you know, of taking, um, the substance, which, you know, had been, you know, on the substance list for a couple of years. So I think pleading ignorance is a little bit rich, um, maybe not from him, but from his, you know, um, you know, physician or whoever it was that.
2: Yeah. I think from his doctor, it's like, you trust him to give you the right stuff. And I mean, you still have to check yourself, but you kind of feel like some type of confidence asking him for it. Right. (laughs)
1: It, it's funny because there's, and for any Aussie listeners, they would know about the, the major sort of PED sort of scandal that's happened with an Australian football team and that sort of rocked the the entire AFL organization as a whole. And, you know, everyone was sort of saying, well, why didn't the players know about it? But um, a lot of the time when you're an athlete, you put your trust and you put your everything into the people who are sort of taking care of you. And yes, you need to have that sort of semblance of, um, you know, ownership of your behavior and ownership of what you're doing and taking and putting in your body. But, uh, you can plead ignorance to an extent. So I think that there is a sort of catch 22 to an extent, but, um, I'd keep the Chandler around Nick. You know, I think that he's going to have a positive effect on this locker room. You know, I think this PD thing doesn't necessarily reflect negatively on his character, more just a misjudgment and just a sort of silly hindrance that he's, uh, undertaken but you know until there has to be a sort of set time and a set date and we need to have you know 15 guys in the roster keep him around and then you know if, if the if the time comes to it then you sort of start to talk about camilla anthony joe johnson but uh, my joe johnson confidence by the way just for listening to other general podcasts and um and, and the like i think that my levels of confidence of joe johnson actually being a brooklyn net has become a a little bit lower because I think some other teams will probably want his services a little bit more. And I think Joe will want to showcase it uh, a little bit more on those teams too.
2: Yeah, I mean, it'll be really interesting what happens with the whole situation. I think it's, yeah, you probably keep Wilson Chandler to the end of training camp where you have to make the final cuts and you could bring in one of these names. But then I also would feel like the writing is on the wall. If you were to bring Carmelo Anthony in, Wilson Chandler would probably assume he's going to be cut. But now it's a weird situation because... You have two, two fours or two combo fours, whatever you want to call them, Rodeons and Wilson Chandler, where you really don't know like what to expect from them next season. And it's like, do you want to just bring in somebody where, you know, would it be a solid vet like Joe Johnson where you know what you're getting? But he doesn't really play the four. That's why it kind of makes you lean towards Carmelo because he's more of a four than Joe is.
1: Joe played some four in Utah and funnily enough, played probably some of the best veteran basketball that he's played, you know, in that position um I, I do agree though um i think that Melo seems like the better fit and obviously you know it, it's a you, you weigh up everything um their pros and their cons and how they're going to fit on this you know brooklyn that's you know team and, and the roster how is Conor anthony going to feel if he gets you know a couple of dnp uh dnp cds here and there um how is, is he going to take it worse than a joe johnson would you know i would probably think so just because of um, the the nature of the the character of these two guys but at the same time you know i would rather have joe johnson just because i think that he, he's more malleable in terms of how he would fit how he would take everything uh, you know what he can provide the team i think mellow's upside is great i think i mentioned this in the last episode you know i think that you know mellow could probably give you a, a quarter or two where he wins a game for you uh, in the crunches because he can hit buckets left right and center um but, you know, obviously, everything surrounding Rodion and, and Wilson Chandler does affect the status of these two guys. And I think at the end of the day that's probably going to push Joe Johnson in a different direction. And Joe Johnson did say, and I think I might chat about this on, on JBT, that the Nets have championship level talent. So he's obviously high on what the Brooklyn Nets have right now. Um, and obviously he's, he's not going to say anything negative towards the organization, but I think a team like, you know, Philly, uh, I think a team like, you know, Detroit, uh, and maybe even the Milwaukee, would probably want him. And, and I think, you know, in terms of the priorities that Joe Johnson, in terms of playing time, championship aspirations, um, the Nets are probably in the middle rung of that, uh, but he does have the history there.
2: Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, he did work out for them and it was interesting. I mean, Carmelo, uh, I think, said he was interested in playing for like the Lakers, Clippers or Nets. Obviously, he has some relationships with players in those teams, but it does make the Nets seem more appealing around the league just because having the star talent. I also wouldn't rule out the Lakers for Joe Johnson because LeBron was also at that championship game and was one of the first people to kind of celebrate that uh, game winning shot with him. So don't sleep on that, too.
1: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think that probably that's been swept under the rug a little bit. And I think that, you know, the the Lakers will take whatever talent that they can get. They're obviously a bit of a, you know, an island of misfit toys in a weird way. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they've still got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and yeah, Joe Johnson in there for, uh, you know, an eighty-two game season where the slog can be, you know, pretty real, and you might need a a few buckets here and there. Joe can certainly give you that. Yeah,
2: for sure. I mean, and he's going to be a guy that if he isn't signed right away, I think he would. He'll end up on an NBA roster, but uh. Jack, you want to talk about the latest uh, Kevin Durant Instagram post?
1: Yeah, so Nick, you alerted me to this. Um, I have to search it up on Twitter and Instagram. Um, what were the photos specifically of for those that haven't seen it?
2: Kevin Durant standing on his bad, his uh, surgically repaired Achilles leg on one leg. So simply just bouncing on that one leg, which is pretty impressive considering he's still you know, not that deep into his rehab.
1: Yeah, obviously, it's incredibly positive, uh, incredibly positive news. And obviously, there were plenty of comments shading my dude, you know, with his uh, spindly frame. But we know he's the Slim Reaper. Give him him a break. And uh, I I think that, obviously... The the fact that he is releasing these images is showing that, you know, he's wanting to broadcast this to the world. He could hide, he doesn't have to post anything, but he's broadcasting this on on a social media platform for millions and millions of people to see, and it's going to get aggregated by everyone. I saw it, I found out by the ESPN um, Instagram and Facebook page and and their Twitter page. So it's being this, whenever Kevin Durant does something on on Twitter, like he's been commenting back and forth and saying stuff about PJ Tucker and all, and all the let, all the rest. It's going to be news. Kevin Durant is one of the, the biggest personalities that we have in the game right now. So for him to broadcast this show shows us that he has a level of confidence of where he is at. And, The medical staff around him are confident enough to put it out there as well. So uh, nothing but good news. Obviously, it is just a step along the way in the recovery process, but um, it's good to see nonetheless that he looks happy, he looks confident, um, and he's taken those necessary steps in in the injury, in the healing process from that uh, terrible Achilles injury.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, bouncing on one leg is putting a decent amount, not obviously a ton of pressure. It's not like he's exploding off that leg or anything like that, but you're putting a decent amount of pressure on your Achilles and on your ankle. So it is definitely a positive sign. I also just saw something um, with the NFL season starting. I believe it's a Eagles player who tore his Achilles and he's recovered in eight months. He's around the same age as uh, KD, but he also weighs 335 pounds. So that's a real positive for KD being a slim guy in this situation.
1: Exactly. Um, so I'm I'm really positive on on seeing it, and um, hopefully we see more of it. And maybe that means the, the minor inklings that we might see Kevin around, pull on the black and white in 2019, 20. Um, the optimism is going to remain there, uh, but the skepticism will remain there for me too, because uh, that's just me.
2: <laughs> is are your percentages moving up at least?
1: Uh no, I think that they maintain you know a semblance of around that sort of you know 40 30 sort of range. Um no, I think that. If we see um, you know him working out and shooting hoops and, and dunking and, and doing more explosive sort of activities, then yeah, but he's just standing on. That's the, literally probably the first thing that you want to do to test out the Achilles' strength. Yes, it is a good sign, um, but we don't know the, the, the necessary bad steps along the way. Um, you know, is he going to, you know, he's not going to, you don't, on, you never post anything on social media. That's like you having a crappy day. So if he's like having a, a bad day with his injury process, you know, he's feeling bad mentally. We're not going to hear about that. Um, unless there is a tell all documentary, which, you know, it could happen. It could be on the boardroom or something in the near future, but, um, you only post the best, you know, rosier stuff on social media. So, um, I'd, I'd be interested to see, um, in a couple of months time, you know, if there are any setbacks along the way, obviously with the Achilles injury, there are so many muscles around there um, that rely on, on the dependence of that being fully healthy. So it's not going to be smooth sailing, but um, one step at a time. And, you know, he's just ticking the boxes uh, as he goes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely am starting to feel more confident about it. I actually was on another podcast uh, previewing the Nets. And one of my prediction was that Kevin Durant will play in this season. So
1: there you go. You're you're always the the ever optimist. I'm always the ever pessimist and sceptic if that is a word. But um, I'm it's funny because normally in like life in general, I am an optimist. But when it comes to my sporting teams, I'm always just like a lot more pessimistic because I would rather be surprised and be happy that my you know predictions are actually untrue.
2: Yeah. No, I feel yeah. I understand. I got some people that I like to live that way, but I'm gonna stay positive over here. Balance out the buzz. I like it. But talking positive, let's talk about your guy Joe 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 Johnson Joe Harris on Team USA. has been a really big contributor, and he's getting a little bit more spotlight with the national media for even just some of the small things. Joe uh, Joe I keep saying Joe Johnson. Joe Harris does on the court.
1: Yeah, my boy Joey Buckets is just doing stuff. Um, I think that there's a lot of now that he's like getting these Captain America sort of means. I'm gonna coin a new nickname if it hasn't been already. You know, he is now officially now Captain Buckets. Captain, oh, I like that. Captain Joey buckets. um You know he's been shooting the lights out at um, at, at Team USA. You know leading the team uh, from the perimeter, shooting six of nine from there. You know 66.7% from there. No one else is above 41%. Chris Middleton uh, has that mark. He's rebounding incredibly well. um Yes, there's been some times where he's looked a, a little bit. You know, obviously adjusted to the fever rules. You know, with that foul that he gave the other day. Um, But he's producing, you know, he's, he's getting out there, you know, he's averaging nearly 20 minutes a night, you know, he's out there and he's, he's producing for Team USA and you know, he's the best shooter on this team. Um despite what Bill Simmons says that, you know, you don't trust the ball in his hands towards the end of it. But I think that this Team USA experience is going to provide and hopefully move Joe Harris forward because he's getting some real, you know, really high-level sort of, not necessarily playoff reps because he's got that in Philadelphia. And he, funnily enough, and unfortunately, you know, was was unable to sort of step up to the spotlight. Whereas now, you know, he's producing at a, at a high level, at an international stage. And hopefully he can transfer that and bring with him to the regular season and hopefully to the post-season where the Brooklyn Nets will hopefully be heavily featured. So this, for me, I think is going to be a really beneficial experience for Joe. Uh, on and off the court, hanging out with the with the guys as well. When you're in this sort of environment, you're forced to sort of step up. Um, and obviously, this isn't the best team, USA team, that we've ever seen. Probably one of the the, the worst. But uh, at the end of the day, you're still surrounded by some incredible talent. And, and Joe Harris is, is around that, and he is producing... Um, So that has to give him some confidence that he'll hopefully take with him uh, into Brooklyn.
2: Yeah, I mean, it definitely is like help put him on the map. And I think you just get confidence playing on a bigger stage, competing against other things. And it seems like based off of some of the quotes I've heard from Joe, that he's really happy to be playing for Team USA. And it means a lot to him. So I think it's awesome. Have you seen the uh, relationship he has with Marcus Smart?
1: I have not. Can you tell me about it? I mean, I'd, I've I've grown to warm somewhat to Marcus Smart in the off season. Obviously, maybe it was because of the the comments he made about Kyrie and saying that you know it wasn't all his fault. But uh, I'm still gonna hate Marcus Smart on the court because he's flopping <laughs> um, and, and all the rest. But I respect Marcus Smart, the dude. Tell me about um the their romance. Yeah. So I guess Marcus Smart. This is
3: a
2: quote from him. You got anything to say about Joe? You say it to me because I'm his alter ego so i I guess (laughs) yeah i guess joe's been playing into it too like responding in group chats if you have anything to say uh talk to marcus
1: (laughs) that's pretty sweet um it'll be interesting to see because obviously you know we'll be versed in the boston celtics a few times and there's going to be plenty of layers to it um obviously with the Kyrie sort of stuff but um, it's it's good to see that joe harris is starting to get the kudos that he just sort of deserves and you know, I know that uh, Matt Brooks on Nets Twitter brought up you know a pretty wild take that he could see you know an R La 2015 sort of six or 15, 16 or 1617 sort of route for Joe uh, as an all star if he was to be like a Damari Carroll type as a sort of team sort of all star. I, I mean, I'm high my dude Joe Buckets and he's one of the best three point shooters in the league and this experience is going to hopefully give him you know even more reps, even more fitness, and hopefully he can take in some new skills and confidence into the new season. But um, he ain't going to be an all star, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I saw that, and I get it. I get what, like, uh, Matt is trying to say in terms of, like, the Corver, DeMar Carroll role, but there's, like, literally, no offense, Jack, less than a 1% chance of him ever being an all-star. It's just highly unlikely. There's so much talent around the league, and it's just, like, the Nets already have too much star power on their team. You know, it would be, like, a 60-plus win season if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You know, they're not going to be like, yeah, Joe Harris is one of the reasons this team won 60 games.
1: Yeah, essentially. Um, you know, he could still you know, he's still high in my book to be one of the top five, you know, three point shooters in the league next year. And I think that adding Kyrie Irving should only help that and if Kevin Durant's back too, then he's gonna get even more open shots. But Um, I'm intrigued to see what else, you know, Joe Harris can add to his sort of skill package as well. If he's learned anything at Team USA, if Coach Pop has imparted any wisdom to to him, or if it's just an even more confident demeanor and the fact that, you know, he's willing to take those clutch buckets, he's willing to take more contested shots. But, um, you know, Team USA is is generally, unless you get injured like a, you know, Jason Tatum, it's generally nothing but a positive experience for those that are always involved.
2: Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if he learned some nice off-ball movements from uh, Pop even some defensive tendencies to take advantage of, you know, moving forward into next season, you know, obviously anytime you're around a great coach like that, even if it's something small, it could have a big impact on your next season.
1: Definitely. Um, I would be remiss not to mention this question, because I think we got it on, in our YouTube comments a couple of weeks ago um, from Crimson Striker. Harking back to the KD stuff, um, he said, I like your perspective on whether the team's culture will be able to make KD finally feel comfortable enough to settle down and fully invest with the Nets where other organizations seem to have failed. I'll comment on this in relation to something I saw from Steve Nash earlier in the week when he was speaking to Bill Simmons. Um, and obviously we try to analyze what Kevin Durant's decision was, why he did it. Obviously we don't know until he fully comes out and that'll probably happen at media day, if not at some sort of, you know, YouTube live thing or, or whatever he might do with his own ventures. But he was sort of saying that a lot has been sort of, you know, analyzed, whereas, it, Steve was saying um well Steve Nash was saying oh, I think he just wants a new challenge and this provided him with a great challenge you know and an opportunity to, to to look into a new environment um and, and sort of see what he can achieve as as a basketballer and as a man and uh, I think that the simplicity of that is probably what I would buy into him the most and the fact that the Brooklyn Nets have such an organization that will will support him you know I don't necessarily think that I'm not 110% sold on the fact that Kevin or hundred percent sold on the fact that Kevin Durant is going to be a Brooklyn net for life because, you know, you get wandering eyes, And I think that that is natural in today's NBA. And I think it's natural for a guy like Kevin Durant to just want the the next thing that's going to fulfill him right now. It's a Brooklyn nets. And for the three or four years on his contract, maybe shorter, who knows um, with what's happening and uh, these superstars and, and them requesting trades, but he's going to be a Brooklyn net for the foreseeable future. And until the championship aspirations are lost until Kevin Durant's lost that step and, you know, maybe he will with the Achilles injury, I think the Brooklyn Nets provide him uh, with the environment, as Crimson Striker was saying, to really, you know, take that next step as a basketballer and as a, as a man, because that's what he, he's a hoop head, uh, and I think that he's going to be given an incredible opportunity on and off the court, because he might even learn some things, you know, just being on, off the court for an extended period, uh, being around guys like Kenny Atkinson and now our great assistant coaching staff too.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely think uh, I look at it from multiple perspectives and you nailed the first one in terms of the challenge. And I think anytime you're a great player and you have aspirations of being, you know, one of the best to ever do it, you need big challenges. And you go to a team like Brooklyn, you know, you go to the Nets and they've never won a championship. You know, they've been to the championship, they won ABA, but they don't have an NBA championship. So you go there, you win a couple chips, maybe even win two or one. You're the face of that franchise, essentially forever you know a lot of people are gonna think about Kawhi's one championship and associate him for what he did for that franchise if kevin durant comes to brooklyn especially after this you know rebuild that they had and he's the final touch on it and it helps them take that next level that's not only going to like make KD feel great. It's just going to change the perspective of how people view him. He understands what the issue was with him going to Golden State. You know, Everybody was like, all right, he can't do it on his own. He can't be the main man. He's just joining a super team. Yeah, the Nets are going to be a really good team when he comes back, but they're not going to be at the level of the Golden State Warriors, most likely, at least not in the first year. And now him having that challenge and getting to that level, I think will make him feel more appreciated. And then just the overall... Like if he wins a chip here, the fans are going to go to him and Kyrie and be like, all right, you guys want us a chip where it's not like, you know, Kyrie was already here and Kevin Durant joined and Kyrie's already the fan favorite type of thing. So obviously there is a difference between Kyrie will be playing this entire season. But overall, when they win the championship, it would still be like, all right, KD did this for us. And then on the Nets uh, perspective of the front office, you look at how they make every player feel wanted and take care of them on different levels from their health into the way they treat their family. And I think that is the type of thing that'll rub any type of player the right way.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, I think that basketball is only a minute part of these, uh, these people's lives. And despite the fact that you know, when we associate Kevin Durant, we associate LeBron James, all we think about is the basketballer, but, um, you know, you aren't, they might be defined by their, their prowess on the basketball courts right now, but you know, it's only a short term sort of, you know, if you're lucky, like LeBron is, you, you're doing it for for 15 to 20 years, but a lot of these guys are just defined by what they do on the court. But I think the Brooklyn Nets provide them a way where they value the individual as well. Like you were sort of saying, Nick, and, you know, obviously Katie has a lot of his business ventures as well. And the fact that they're in New York um helps him have that accessibility with that you know he can continue to expand his role as a off-the-court businessman and and, and with all his financial sort of, um, you know, endeavors, um, he's going to find success there. And, you know, I think that the entire sort of the holistic view, um, the Brooklyn Nets give him a real opportunity there, similar to, you know, I guess LeBron in in LA, you know, I think that they want that sort of living situation as well. It's it's the whole package. And I think that at this point in time, um, the Nets were lucky enough to provide him the best package available.
2: Yeah, and I think it's just overall and how they treat him during this rehab process and this whole relationship. Obviously, it's still fairly new for both sides, so we'll see how that kind of unwraps. But everything seems very positive so far.
1: Definitely, definitely.
2: What else you got for us, Jack?
1: All right, so I've got um, some comments that have been made um, that we haven't really touched on because, you know, we have only had a finite amount of time to speak about on the buzz, but this is from, you know, a couple of weeks ago from Jalen uh, Rose, and he uh, he wasn't too high on the Nets. Without KD, their record would probably hover around what it was last year. On paper, if everyone placed their expectations, I don't feel the Knicks record should be far off that and almost be as good as theirs. Uh, what's Jalen smoking?
2: Jalen is still upset that uh, KD decided to sign with the Nets and not the Knicks because he was on that, that bandwagon pretty much for the last couple months, and he said it was a lock he was signing with the Knicks, and it didn't happen. I don't know what he's smoking. I mean, I think you could look at these two teams, and it's the easiest thing to see why one team's going to be a lot better than the other is just look at the guard play. Like, the Knicks possibly don't have one starting-level NBA guard on their roster, and the Nets have possibly, you know, two All-Stars and one fringe All-Star.
1: And I think they have a surplus at the position that is probably the least valuable for today's NBA in the power forward. You want to have either, you know, I I think we've spoken about this just general view on basketball and the fact that, you know, you need a a great wing um, to win a championship in, in the modern era, which they don't have, which the Nets have, but he's obviously unhealthy. Or at the very least, you need, you know, a, a really good point guard, you know, like the, the Golden State Warriors with, with Stephen Curry. Um, you know, and I, the Nets are completely devoid of that in in all realms, you know. Their best player with highest upside is RJ Barrett, a rookie. Um, you know, um, I think Dennis Smith could be good this year. Um, Victor provided some really great insight when we did the, the comparison uh, and the head-to-head sort of stuff. Uh, on the New York Knicks sort of podcast and the Atlantic Division podcast, uh, but he was also incredibly realistic about the fact that you know the the Nets just you know supersede and exceed uh, the Knicks in almost literally every way except for maybe one or two positions and the high end, the highest end that the the New York Knicks will get to is an eighth seed. That that is the the be all and end all, and that is. Everything going right and everything going wrong around the teams around them because you know you got teams like the Chicago Bulls, you got teams like the Orlando Magic, you got teams like the Atlanta Hawks that I all think have you know the Atlanta Magic might be a little bit higher, but the, the Hawks, the Bulls, these sort of teams that finish in the lower rungs that I think have more upside um, and had better off seasons um, and you will have more natural growth than the New York Knicks do. Uh, when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets, if they hang around at the same sort of spot, you know that's still 42 and 40. And now that's probably good enough for a six or seven, or probably a seven seed uh, or six or seven seed. I don't think that the, if the Knicks will be lucky to crack 40 wins next season, I think they're going to be around that. 32 33 sort of win sort of mark um if all things go wrong for the nets i still think that there'll be high 30s uh at the very least because there is a there is still an incredible amount of depth like you talk about especially that guard position which is probably where you want the depth to have the most because you know the point guard is essentially running things on most nights and even if you have you know a wing or two which the nets do we have wing depth just not high end wing depth so um i think Jalen rose is uh, his biases are, are certainly coming through, and maybe ours are too, but I think that we're being a little more realistic on the on the Knicks' chances, um, and I've said it you know, a million times. The Nets' highest end ceiling, like I did for the Hot Take Marathon, is a third seed. Their lowest end is probably an eighth seed. Um, even if Curry isn't healthy and somehow blows things up, maybe they missed the playoffs. That's, maybe that, that's probably the worst-case scenario.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think the Nets' worst-case scenario is probably the Knicks' best-case scenario. And there's just a lot of things that have to go wrong for the Nets. And I think one thing that people are consistently forgetting about Brooklyn, and this just goes to show that they haven't watched in the last couple seasons, is the player development, the improvement from the young guys. Every year, we've seen players take a jump. You know, it's not maybe the same guy every year, but we've seen everybody improve over the course of their span with the Nets. There's no reason not to think some of these other young players are going to make a jump this season. And to be honest, the team obviously is more talented, but it's probably deeper than last year where Kenny Atkinson has more quality NBA players to play. Where last year, there's a couple guys on the roster that at times were just not playable.
1: No. And then, you know, you mentioned guys like Alan Crabb and being replaced by Toyin Prince. Obviously, health is the number one thing at the end of the day. And, and the Knicks have a lot of guys. Um, it's just that they don't have a lot of co- guys that provide a cohesive fit. Which the Nets do at least to some sort of semblance. Yes, there's some some holes at the at the four position and such, and there might be a bit of a clash at the center position. But hopefully, you're looking to to that being you know an area where they can sort of look to put some brew some positive competition uh, with DeAndre uh, and Jared Allen. But yeah, I, I think that the the Knicks, um, like you mentioned it, the Knicks' best case scenario is the is is the Nets' worst case scenario.
2: Yeah, I agree. Jalen's definitely on something. I mean, he did play for the Knicks, I believe, for a quick minute.
1: And touching on Jared Allen, I think we might finish off with with him. And uh, he also said a couple of weeks ago that he might be willing to play the power forward position for Brooklyn uh, in an interview with Stefan Bondi. Um, And I quote, We're all basketball players at the end of the day. We all want to be first on the court. But at the end of the day, whatever I can do to help the team win, that's what I'm going to do. I don't know what it's going to come down to or the coach's system, but for me, I'm prepared to play the four or the five. It's interchangeable for us, but I'm ready to play wherever they throw at me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's highly
1: unlikely Jared
2: Allen plays the four at all this season. It maybe be for a couple minutes if that, but I just don't really see it happen. I think they want Jared Allen to develop as a center. And he's gonna get all his minutes at center. He just doesn't really play the four. You know, his three-point shot isn't there yet. His perimeter defense isn't there yet. There's no real reason to put him in a position like that where he most likely won't succeed.
1: Yeah, I think that the number one thing from that sort of takeaway, other than obviously that he's prepared to play the four, is that it's interchangeable for us. That little like comment, like side comment, in the fact that I don't think that's true though. I don't think it's true either. But the fact that he made it is that you know, is coach Kenny telling him something in the off season that we don't know? Yeah. Uh, is there like a system change that is going to be now be based off the fact that now we have DeAndre Jordan is coach Kenny going to be changing something. Uh, it's definitely not interchangeable because I would expect our best value at the four position to be Rodion's or Torian. Um, and in that sort of sense of the imagination, you know, you want those guys to be out there rather than Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. Um, You know, I I did a DeAndre Jordan offensive breakdown um, for Nets Republican. One thing I was really sort of intrigued about, and yes, obviously he was very up and down. And obviously, you know, I think his mindset and and if he's engaged, I think he's going to provide something for the team is that, He's a really good passer. And, and I think that that's something that he has. Jared Allen does have a little bit of it, but I think DeAndre Jordan's offensive game as a passer in, in, in the DHOs with a guy like Kyrie Irving and as a kick-out passer, and he had some really nice bounce passes that I didn't really put in my breakdown either um, to some cutting guys. That's something that I think that he has that Jared doesn't have right now. And, uh, I mean, we'll obviously speak about, um, all, about all these guys in depth when we start our player preview series pretty soon. But um, DeAndre Jordan... Might have that five position locked up right now. I think that is, you can literally toss a coin and, you know, it's going to be 50 50 most nights. And I would be happy with either of them starting. They are both starting caliber players. Jared Allen is better right now. I'd probably rather have him start. Um, But DeAndre Jordan, if he has a good offseason, he's coming into training camp, you know, looking trim and and, and engaged. And, you know, he's, you know, hitting those free throws still. Then I'm happy to have him starting as well.
2: Yeah, I think there's an argument probably to be made that. If DeAndre Jordan is engaged and locked in and like, you know, playing to his full capability, he should start because he's just a veteran. He has a better understanding of different things along those lines. But there's no guarantee he's gonna come and fully engage, fully locked in at the highest level. He might be at like 80%, and then Jared Allen might get the nod. So I think it's a really interesting battle between those two because there's obviously pros and cons for each side. You know, guys been in the NBA long as long as DeAndre Jordan knows the small things that Jared Allen is still learning right now, and I think they can benefit from each other.
1: Yeah, I think that they can too. And we saw that with sort of Ed Davis as well. I think that there yeah. might be you know a, a little more of an unhealthy sort of fit in in terms of the on court wise and you know how can he sort of just distributes those minutes, but. You know, hopefully, the preseason, it's the the kinks are worked out somewhat, and you know, the early parts of next season and in training camp, and you know that there is you know a level of camaraderie and respect that has developed between these two. But you know, we want Jared Allen to be the starting center of the future for the Brooklyn Nets, and we want him to continue developing. Obviously, he still lacks the sort of frame to to go against those guys, and and just the overall strength. And I think that that's one thing that's always going to count against him. And until he develops, whether it's you know the mental strength or whether the physical strength. Um, it's always going to be a, a hurdle to him being you know the top five center that Spencer did when he thinks he can become because you know, I think Jared Allen his ceiling um, you know is probably like somewhere like what Miles Turner is producing right now. Um, I think funnily enough that Jared Allen's probably a slightly better rebounder, but miles Turner's defensive acumen um, and we're not saying I'm not saying Jared Allen is a bad defender, but Miles Turner is one of the best defenders in the league, and his offensive game, you know, his ability to shoot at the perimeter, and his just overall offensive repertoire um, pales in comparison to what Jared Allen has right now. Um, and obviously, funnily enough, being former college um, alumni as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's more of a, a game for him to get to is closer to a Miles Turner type because of what he does in the court. And I don't think Jared will ever be a giant guy, but he just needs to hit that grown man strength of which we've talked about in the past.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, Miles Turner isn't huge. Like, he's not a hulking, bruising, you know, DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard, these sort of big, sort of lumbering guys. Though Those guys are obviously incredibly athletic and limber too, but, you know... Um, I think that he just needs to have that level of competence when it comes to the strength and the ability to not get, you know, not be a sieve when it comes to being backed down by the likes of Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, these sort of guys. Maybe not Anthony Davis because he's going to be playing the bloody four position, but Joel Embiid (laughs) and Nikola Jokic specifically, especially Embiid because, you know, that guy's going to be a rival for the long-term future if he's healthy because, you know he's one of the best players in the nba and um you know he's going to come up against him a lot and you know there's already a mini rivalry brewing when he elbowed him in the freaking face and i think that if you want to do something about it um jared then you're going to keep working on it um, keep working on that mental and physical strength and you know maybe it's something that never comes but maybe he makes up for it in other ways maybe that three-point shot becomes such a weapon that you know he becomes more of a, a an outside sort of presence uh, and maybe some other strengths override the fact that he lacks that strength but uh, he's not necessarily elite in enough areas uh, that he can, you know, lack that sort of uh, competency as a sort of down low defender. Uh, you know, yes, he's a great, you know, rim protector and a rim blocker, um, but that doesn't make up for the lack of, you know, strength when it comes to one of the the core sort of skills as a defender when it comes to against those uh, other guys at the five.
2: Yeah, and I think at the center position for you to be considered, you know, in the top five or even the top ten. You need to just be able to hold your own in the post. Like you said, you don't have to be overly strong, but you need to be just not get embodied in the paint. You need to at least put up some type of competition where they have to fight through it or they're going to have to earn it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and one last comment, and I'll bring this up because we are speaking about Jared Allen and DeAndre. This is uh, I heard this on the Hardwood Knox podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I wrote it down in my notes, uh, that signing DeAndre will stunt Jared Allen's growth. Do you believe that, Nick?
2: Signing DeAndre will stunt Jared's growth. Um, I mean, I think there's a possibility of that happening, but I also think there's a bigger possibility and a more likely scenario of DeAndre helping Jared's growth because what we saw him do with Mitchell Robinson last year and the fact is he knows what he's getting into coming to the Nets, what Jared Allen has done and the relationship he already has with a Kyrie and a Kevin Durant. And I think the relationship DeAndre seems to be building with the entire team. I know Spencer did what he already said. He's probably the funniest guy on the team.
1: Yeah. It's always, it's nice to see that um, camaraderie continuing to grow in that chemistry off the court. Um, it's going to be uh, a fun training camp as well. I'm looking forward to finally, you know, talking about some on-court stuff and some stuff that aren't just like, you know, plain blase comments like, yeah, Toy and Prince, yeah, I want to win. Yeah, we know man. Harris LaVert, yeah, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And it's just like, all right, guys, we want something that we could talk about in the Brooklyn buzz, um, but we respect these guys nonetheless, obviously.
2: Yeah, for sure. Obviously, we're waiting for the preseason training camp, media day, whatever it may be, to just give us a little bit more juice. And before that, you know, we'll be getting into our player preview series very soon, like we've been doing the last couple seasons, you know, previewing each player's upcoming 2019 20 season. As always, Jack, a pleasure talking nets with you. Thank you, everybody, for taking time to listen to the show. And you can find us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Google Play, and YouTube.
3: Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.